Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. Welcome to the final episode of the year, as well as, amazingly, episode number 30 of this podcast. Thank you all for continuing to listen. Another achievement for the podcast, we have now hit 50 ratings on Spotify, clocking in at a 4.9. It's not too shabby. If it were a restaurant, I would definitely be going. I don't know what that says about podcasting, but it seems like a good rating nonetheless. I've digressed. Today's episode is going to be about change management and specifically about change management in your company. We're probably not going to focus a lot on change management in other parts of your life, though. Feel free to take whatever I say here and try to apply it. A few things that we're going to discuss related to change management. The first is what is specifically your job related to change management? The second is how to think about doing changes in your company. For instance, doing a bunch of small changes versus a few bigger ones. The next will be how to create a good change management plan. Then talking through whether there is such thing as too much change or too little change. And then finally, I'm sure I will weave my own personal experiences throughout this as I often do, but I have set aside a specific section to talk through what I'm calling a tale of two changes, which are one change in my own career that I thought went really poorly that I executed and another change that I executed that I thought went well. And hopefully we can draw some conclusions from those two and uh, understand why one might have gone better than the other. The first topic is going to be, what is your role in change management? Let's start with the broadest definition here. What is change management? Any company is going to, at some point, need to shift direction, whether it be in a small way, we need to let this person go, or in a larger way, we need to totally change the priorities that we're focused on, change the product we are selling, change something core to the business's existence. Maybe we're going into a different industry because we see a better opportunity there. There are many different types of changes that you will inevitably need to execute to stay relevant as a company and as the leader of that company, but that is going to fall on you to a greater or lesser extent. As the leader of a company or a leader of a team, you have a few things to make sure you do as part of change management. And I want to talk through those because I think some of them are more obvious than others. The first requirement of successful change management is simply the change should achieve whatever business outcome that you wanted. If, for example, it is, we are going to stop selling this product and we're going to start selling this product. There should be a good reason for that. You should have thought through why that is going to happen and have some reasonable expectation that that's going to have a good outcome. And whatever you do to make that occur should be with the desired outcome of getting to a better state as a business. Don't go making changes will willy-nilly, obviously. Your primary reason for making changes is because it will result in a better outcome for the business. Whatever plans you make to execute that change should be with that first goal in mind. 
There are two other goals, though, related to change management that I think are really important for managers and leaders to also focus on. And if these are ignored, sometimes that can be at the expense of actually making that change happen. The second objective, the second job you have in change management is maintaining culture, or at least the pieces of culture that are important to the company's success and longevity. Sometimes managers go into making changes thinking, this is good for the business. Therefore, that's all I really need to focus on. And managers can sometimes make changes that forget that people are part of this equation and people inherently have a hard time with change. They may make changes that actually directly impact the culture. Maybe they are creating more teams or separating individuals into different functions when a core piece of the company's culture was that everyone worked really effectively together and didn't divide into different areas of focus. As you make changes, another important thing will be just trying to maintain the culture of the company. The third one, and I'm talking through it third, but it's definitely not the least important, is minimizing disengagement. Generally, changes at a company are not going to increase engagement or increase satisfaction by employees, particularly in the short term. That is probably also true generally of customers. Uh, most changes being made in a business, while they may positively impact customers, Customers also don't like change, just like employees. And so the goal here isn't, let me immediately make a positive impact on my team, but rather, let me make sure that the negative effects on the team are as minimized as possible. These are things like ensuring that you're involving the team in the right way, that you're communicating to them in the right way. A good rule of thumb is you should be tired of hearing your own message about changes that maybe means that you've gotten through to other people because if you're getting tired yourself of talking through it, it means that other people have heard it at least once, if not more times. And oftentimes it requires a few repetitions in order to have messaging from management, particularly around changes, actually sink in. When I think through the parts of changes that have gone the worst in businesses that I've worked in, sometimes they did not achieve the business outcomes that were desired. For instance, a strategic decision was made around what products to focus on or how to build the right services. And those decisions were bad ones. Like they weren't well thought through. More often than not, the worst failures that come from change management have been, in my experience, how they have negatively impacted employees, those are generally very controllable outcomes. My experience has been that employees don't necessarily have a problem with the specific changes being made, although they may say they do. Rather, the problem that they experience is a sense of lacking control. It is tough as an employee to be told something is changing and to not be a part of it. It is even tougher when you're not explained it well, either because management is purposely trying to hide information or because management hasn't thought super clearly around what an employee actually needs to hear. Let's assume that you're running a good business and that you're being smart about the decisions you're making in your business. The, the area that is most vulnerable is this third point of disengagement from employees. When we're thinking about making changes as leaders and companies, 
there are different schools of thought here, but generally they fall into one of two. One is change is constant. That is true in business as much as it is in life. And therefore, any changes are going to happen all the time. The other is change may be constant, but it is still detrimental to the employees and potentially the customers of the company. People tend to value sameness and consistency. They like the status quo. And therefore, when we do make changes, they're going to be as infrequent as possible, which may also mean that they will be on average a larger change when they do happen rather than many small changes. How do we think about these two things, many small changes versus a few big changes? I don't think that there's a right answer. I think that it's very specific to the company and the culture that the company has. For instance, if you have brought on a bunch of team members who come from environments of constant change and are used to that, maybe this looks more like a typical startup environment where you all are still figuring out product market fit and there are lots of pivots occurring. That's all great. That probably means that the people on your team are on average going to be okay with more frequent changes. They're used to that. They're expecting that. On the other hand, if you're running a larger company or a small business, either one of which is not growing super fast, has a lot of employees or has employees who have been there a long time, people who join those types of companies tend to value consistency more. And you might consider reducing the number of changes to be less frequent. And when you do make those changes, of course, they're naturally going to be larger changes. It will be even more important to communicate them effectively. But in order to not rock the boat too frequently and create distrust, it might make sense to try to minimize the frequency of changes because one, you're already an established business. Two, you have employees who likely join out of a desire for consistency. Between those two things, it just makes sense to limit the, the frequency of changes. Again, I don't think that there's a right answer. You know your business better than I do. I do think generally changes should not happen more often than they need to for the business's sake. It's not like anyone joins a company and says, I'd really like for changes to happen all the time. It's just, I think, a question of how much is tolerable to the average employee into the company's culture. And that's something that you and your management team probably understand better than anyone. What does a change management plan actually look like? Let's talk through this a little bit. I divide this into three parts. The first part I'll talk through is just what a good change management plan consists of. The second is mapping out what needs to happen. And the third is just some tips and tricks, things that you should keep in mind as you're planning out change. To me, a good change management plan consists of the who, the what, the when, and the why. We'll talk about the how in a second. But the change management plan first must define those four. The who and the what can sometimes be interchangeable, depends on what the type of change is. So the who is, are there people whose roles or responsibilities are changing at the company? Or the what, which is, is the company changing its priorities? And said another way, is the company changing what it focuses on? What products or services it's offering. There are some times where the what dictates a change in the who as well. So if, for instance, we are a services company targeting small businesses and we're actually going to change our focus to be more on enterprise size clients, these are large businesses, maybe that will also mean that our sales team will go from sales development representatives to more 
enterprise sales experienced people. In that case, you have a what and a who that are changing. There can also be who changes that don't connect to what changes. There can be who changes in terms of based on the current priorities of the business, we actually think we need to shift who's doing what. We want to grow the size of this team or reduce the size of that team. That would be an exclusively who change and not a what change in terms of priorities or focus for the company. The next component is when. So when is all of this happening? That has to be defined before you actually move forward with it. And then the why. This is obviously the most important piece in terms of communication to the rest of the company. There has to be good reason for it. And it also has to be something that's, while maybe the specific reasons are not fully comprehensible to every employee, it should be able to be explained in a way that is digestible to all employees. Let's say we've got those four things. We've got the who slash what. We have when it's all happening and we have why it's all happening. Great. Those are well defined by the management team, let's assume. Now we need to figure out the how, mapping out what actually needs to happen in order to go from today to whenever this change is complete. The change first needs to start with a communication plan. Who needs to know what information and when do they need to know that information and what information do they need to know? I like to think of this as concentric circles radiating out from the management team. So you go layer by layer. You start with the most senior folks, the next circle out from the, the upper management, and you explain to them what changes are being made and why. And then you do another layer, which maybe includes their direct reports. So this is now in large companies, VPs all the way down to middle managers. And then finally, you have this full company communication plan, which is a little bit less discussion-based and more presentation-based because you have a lot more people that need to know. It's a little bit more simplified because you need to communicate this across a number of different lines of business. You need to communicate this across a number of different functions. And so the message needs to be boiled down to something simpler so it can be repeated. One thing to keep in mind is maybe your direct reports, the folks who have been there the longest, the folks who are the most senior, you can have a discussion with them about it. You can talk through it. You can answer questions. You can explain more of the nitty gritty details because you're having more of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But as you interact with more people about the change, think about it this way. The more people that need to hear about something, the simpler the message will need to be. Partly because you're communicating to a much broader audience and their lowest common denominator of understanding will be lower than when you're just talking to one person. The way you communicate with one person can be very tailored to that individual. Whereas when you're communicating with many people, you need to figure out communicating it in some way that they all are going to understand it. Therefore, it by definition needs to be simpler. You also are just not going to be able to answer questions in the same way that you were when you were talking to just your direct reporter, that VP or whoever that senior leader is. You were able to have a discussion there, but if you have a 100 person company, you probably won't be able to have a personal conversation with each of them where you explain everything that's going on. Another thing to keep in mind is that more junior employees, folks who are lower down in the organization, they are going to feel the effects of change a lot more than the more senior people because they have a lot less control. They have a lot less context on the overall business. They will likely feel a lot less secure in their jobs. 
This is just something to keep in mind. The way that you communicate, it really needs to be considerate of how impacted individuals will be in the company by these changes. Add to that the fact that you're not going to be able to have one-on-one conversations with each of them and answer all of their questions. And they're going to feel even more uncomfortable than when you were explaining this to the senior leader who reports to you and who you have a really close connection with. So simpler message, maybe more positive in its spin. To be clear, I don't mean blowing smoke up anyone's ass. I just mean instead of explaining just this is what's going on at the company, everything is shit right now and we need to just batten down the hatches until things get better. It might make more sense to explain it as there are some headwinds or we are expecting some tougher sales cycles next year because of the broader economic situation. We're not concerned about the overall health of the company, but we do want to make sure to be conserving cash so that we don't have to make more drastic changes in the future. So we are making some changes now to ensure that the company stays as viable and healthy as possible long term. You can see how that's still honest. You're not holding information, but you're spinning it in a way that's not just, hey, I'm really worried about the long-term potential, or I'm really worried about the short-term situation the company's in. So that's communication plan. Again, these concentric circles and the farther out you go, the simpler the message needs to be, the more it will need to be repeated. The second thing to figure out beyond communication plan is, are there any administrative changes like titles and reporting lines that need to change? Uh, That could be literally changing those things in your HR system that could be just making the changes in terms of, I need to communicate who's now reporting to who and when that's going to happen, making sure that everyone knows who their new manager is and what their function is. And then the third piece after the administrative changes is this transition period. If there are teams that are changing responsibility, if there are new product lines or service lines being offered, If there are any handovers of responsibility or new responsibilities being taken on, there needs to be a transition and ramp up period and perhaps a training period where everyone's getting up to speed on what they're now going to be doing if those changes are occurring. Even when it's something like we're just firing one executive or one person in the team, you still need some back backup plan to ensure that everyone in the team between them are covering all the necessary responsibilities when you have fewer people. Of course, that is even more true when you have large changes like stop offering our service to small business. We're going to start offering it to enterprise. No team is suddenly going to be great at running their function focused on a new type of customer. It's going to take them some time to learn. You need to account for that transition period. You also need to communicate that there will be a transition period. So people aren't suddenly thinking, I need to be excelling in this new version of the world immediately. Provide that cushion. Some things to generally remember when thinking about a change management plan. First, people really dislike change. I've said this previously, and I think it bears repeating many times. People really dislike change. Makes them uncomfortable. Also, they will not necessarily understand it. It is best to assume that they will be unhappy about it. The goal here is not to make everyone feel super happy with changes, even if it's long-term good for them for whatever reason. The goal here is to make sure everyone at least understands why these changes are being made. At best, is on board with the fact that these changes are being made. The part that I think people are most unhappy with is feeling a lack of control 
about the outcome. And one way to solve for that is by explaining it to them such that they feel like they would have arrived there themselves, or they could at least understand how someone might have made that decision, even if they wouldn't have made that themselves. As part of that, like I said before, a message about change bears repeating many times. If you are working in a small company, it is worth investing time meeting one-on-one with employees, arming your managers with talking points, asking your managers to bring the questions that they are getting from their team back to you so you know the type of concerns that people are bringing up and you are able to address them even if you hadn't thought of them as concerns beforehand. If you are working in a larger company, you're not obviously going to be able to meet with every employee, but you can ask that each of your managers does so. During periods of change, the priority beyond making the actual changes should be making sure that employees are okay. And the best way to do that is by checking in with them, asking if they have questions, asking if they have concerns. And if it's not something that you as a manager or your managers can address directly, asking them to escalate it to someone who can better address it. If you're the CEO of a 100 person company and you're not able to meet with every single person, that makes total sense. At least make sure that your managers are, let's say you have five people reporting to you and they each have 19 people reporting to them. It is a worthwhile use of time to have them meet with every single one of those people. And there will be themes of concerns that come up. You can then address those themes broadly within the whole company and make sure that if there are consistent concerns or questions that people are at least getting them answered from the decision makers themselves. Another thing to keep in mind, and this is more of a best practice than it is something to keep in mind. If there is a way to involve employees in the change, it's likely going to go over a lot better. One thing that sometimes companies do is they send out engagement surveys to basically ask employees, how do you feel about what's going on at the company right now? And sometimes there are nuggets of insights in those engagement surveys that support the need for changes. Now, sometimes companies go a little far and they say, well, I want to make this change and I want to make it seem like employees were on board with it by taking something from the engagement survey and connecting it to this change that we made. Employees see through that and I do not think it's worth trying to do that because one, it's dishonest and two, people know it's dishonest. Employees talk to each other. So don't try to fake it. But if there is a way to say, hey, we need to make these changes, we'd love to figure out a way to make them as little impactful as possible. We'd love to figure out a way to have this be a positive change. We want to make sure we're thinking about this and want some, want your feedback. If there's some way to do that, you could end up getting a lot better results from the change because people will feel like they were part of it and they were heard. Doesn't mean if they're all unhappy about it, don't make the change. It may still make sense from a business perspective to make changes that employees are unhappy with, but you can engage them in a way that allows them to feel like they were a part of the process, even if they didn't get to make the decision themselves, even if it's not a democracy at your company. Now let's talk through too much or too little change. Are those things, is it possible for a company to have too much change? Is it possible for a company to have too little change? I think the answer is yes to both. Here are some signs of too much change. 
disengagement from employees, reduced productivity, increased churn to people leaving the company. If any of those things are happening at a higher rate than normal, it is possible that you are implementing changes too frequently. And while they do individually potentially make sense, as a group, they are too much in too little time. If you are having too little change, here are a couple things that you might see happen in your company. Worsening business metrics. So if some of the key things that you track to determine whether your business is doing well are slowly getting worse over a long period of time, it's possible that you are not responding to changes in the market quickly enough or frequently enough. And that might mean that you are changing too infrequently. The other thing you might notice is what I call fiefdoms. Individuals in the company who have built up tremendous amounts of power slash influence or large teams, larger teams than a lot of their counterparts doing similar work or larger teams than similarly sized companies in the same industry. If you see these fiefdoms pop up where there is one person getting too much power in the company, it's possible that you haven't made changes often enough. Now, it's generally good for people to develop relationships in companies, but I think that's different than typically over time when someone's been in the same role with the same responsibilities for a really long time. It's easy for them to quote unquote empire build where they just add a few more people here and there. They add a little bit more scope. So they have some scope creep and suddenly they're a very powerful individual in the company. That lack of check and balance within the company typically is not very good for the company's long-term success. And it also might indicate that you aren't making frequent enough changes to your business where one group has garnered so much influence and power over the company that they are really making decisions in an outsized way compared to the other stakeholders in the organization. I'm going to talk through a tale of two changes from my own companies that I've worked at. The first one went really poorly, and the second one I thought went quite well. I've talked through a version of this example before, so feel free to skip it if you feel like you've heard it. I was managing a team that was focused on operations, a very specific area of operations, and they had been divided into three different functions for about two years. Over the course of those two years, those three teams had been really effective. They were brand new teams when I first joined. And so they were doing a lot of foundation building. An example of that would be, no one has ever done this process in a standardized way before. Now we're going to do it in a standardized way and we're going to write the playbook for it and we're going to measure it and make sure it's being done the same way every time. And we're going to basically create something from nothing, go from zero to one. Those teams did an awesome job of that. And our key business metrics showed that. Our key business metrics continued to improve pretty dramatically over the course of at least the first year and a half. What I started to notice over the next six months was that those metrics in terms of their continued improvement were really slowing down. And what I noticed each of these teams doing was once they'd got taken care of some of that really big stuff, if you create a list of a hundred things you could do to make something work better than it 
did yesterday, your first 10 might be really impactful. But when you get down to 30 or 40 or 50, naturally, if you've put them in the right order, those things are going to be less impactful than the first few things that you do. These teams had gotten through their first 10 or 20 items and were now starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel. So the improvements in these metrics were slowing down. Makes a lot of sense. It wasn't anyone's particular fault. No one was doing something wrong. It's just the nature of where we were at in the business cycle. So I decided that we needed to shift our focus from three vertical teams to two horizontal teams teams that were thinking about the customer, not from one point in the life cycle, but over the course of the life cycle from a specific viewpoint. I can't go too much into detail without giving away the specific situation, so I'm not going to, but suffice to say that this is going to be a shift from vertical teams focused on one particular point in the life cycle to horizontal teams focused on one particular aspect of the customer experience. I've identified the reason that change needs to happen. I think I'm doing a good job so far. Then it comes time to figure out how to make those changes. I came up with roughly the team priorities or the areas of focus that I thought these new teams should have. And then I decided after a bit of reflection that it made sense to involve the teams in this decision. It was only a team of about 30 people, so it wasn't huge. It was possible for me to have a one-on-one type conversation with everyone on the team. So I thought I'd been through changes before that I really disagreed with or felt like I wasn't a part of. I've gone through the management training and I've done schooling and organizational behavior. I know all the things that make people unhappy about change. I don't want people to be unhappy about this change because I think it's a really good one. Let me figure out how to make it go as best I can by involving them. So I got the team together. I said, I think it's time to shift our priorities a bit. Look at all the great work that we have done as a team to get to this point. Now, here's the reality of the business. You can see that our company has shifted its focus now from growth to profitability, from adding new users to retaining existing users. These things mean that maybe we should reconsider how we are operating as a team. I presented them with the company's priorities for the following year, and I said, now let's spend some time brainstorming. What are the things that we would want to do that we think would make the most impact towards these priorities. Got the team into little groups. I had them brainstorm. We got together, presented them. It was at an offsite. It was, we had a fun event afterward where we had a competition of some sort, barbecuing competition or cooking competition, whatever it was that was largely irrelevant, but it was fun. It was a fun day. We had a whole day basically devoted to what kind of problems do we think we need to solve based on the company's priorities? I thought it was really productive. And I actually gained a lot of information myself that I then went over with my individual managers on the team. Each of them was managing, let's call it nine or 10 people. And I said, here's what I've learned. Here's what I think we need to do. Let me get your input into how to make it happen. Great. So I feel like I've both come up with a high level plan as well as involve the team to get some of those details right. And I actually did learn a lot that informed how the changes would be made. So that I think is all going great. I come up with a, here's who's going to report to who, and here's what each team is going to be doing now. And I present it to my managers. They say, okay. And then I ask them to tell their teams about it. And I think, great, we're done here. The team is really unhappy about this change. I can't immediately figure out why I thought, oh, I involved them 
at every step of the process, why are they so upset about the changes that we made? Seems like everyone agreed. I decided to then go to some individual team members who I felt would be honest with me and ask them what had happened. And they said, well, I, we agree with what the teams need to be doing, but you just kind of assigned us to new managers and didn't ask us at all what we wanted to be doing or who we wanted to be reporting to. And what I had accidentally done, because I just wasn't thinking about it, was I reassigned a lot of people to new work that it didn't necessarily make sense to, for, to assign them to because it either wasn't a good use of their skills, it wasn't an area of interest for them, or I'd literally assign them to a manager that they just didn't want to report to, and they wouldn't have chosen to if they were given the option. Even though I'd done the planning correctly, the execution was really poor, and I ended up in a much worse situation in this new version of the world than I was in in the old version of the world, and there was a lot of disengagement. I got the team together and I said, look, I realized that I said I wanted to involve you all in this process, and I didn't at the most key juncture, which was actually implementing it and assigning who is going to do what. That is on me. I apologize. I, I made a mistake. I didn't think through it enough. I'd like to revisit this now and ask you where you think you should be focused. It was down to two teams now. And I said, which of these two teams makes more sense for your skill set, team A or team B? When I sat down with each of them and I asked them that question, they actually, for the most part, said, I think this ended up being the right place for me. I did not like that I was simply reassigned without conversation. And that made a lot of sense to me. It wasn't the change itself that was bothering them. It was the way that I had gone about it. Of course, it would suck to simply have your manager changed on you and what you were working on changed on you without any involvement from you. Maybe if I had opened up all these jobs, they wouldn't have applied to them in their new form. But as soon as I involved them in the process, they actually ended up at the same place that I had originally. And what that taught to me was the question here was not just what changes needed to be made, which I actually got some good input on and they agreed with. It was how do I make those changes and how do I make sure the team feels like they are a part of those changes? So if I were to do it all over again, I think what I would have focused on as a second part of the process was not just here's what the team will be doing, but also let me gather input from the managers or from the team members directly on, we're going to be shifting our focus as a team. Where do you want to end up within that new team? And we might've ended up with a slightly different outcome than if I'd done it myself, but I would have ended up with a lot more engagement going in an imperfect direction, but really fast because people are engaged is better than going in precisely the right direction, but really slowly because people are disengaged. That ultimately worked out, but the process itself did not go well the whole time. I did spend a lot of time cleaning up that I didn't actually need to if I had done it right the first time. That was the, the change that didn't go so well. Let's talk about the change that did go well. Actually a similar situation, but on a broader scale. There were a number of leadership changes happening in my company. This organization was, let's call it 500 people. And the head of those 500 people was leaving. Two of that person's direct reports were leaving. And the markets that we were operating in 
were starting to look a lot different than they did when we'd first set up the organization. We'd previously set up two markets that were operating in parallel, two teams that would operate those markets in parallel. And we were realizing that we needed to shift to one mega team operating both markets because we were simply being inefficient with our resources. My job, I was reporting to this head of the 500 person team was to take a hundred of those people that were duplicates of each other in each market and turn that into one mega team of a hundred people. The first thing I did was I went to all the managers and I said, we are given this mandate that we need to create a mega team. What do I need to keep in mind to make sure this goes well? What is the detail of your business, your part of the business that I don't know that I need to know in order to make the best decisions. So that was a starting point, just asking them for their input, saying we have changes that are going to happen, but the way that they happen is really up to us. And I want your opinion as to what, both what I need to keep in mind to make sure that this goes well, and also how to involve you in the right way. So I get a bunch of input. The next step was defining within this group of a hundred people, what would the teams look like? We had our list of company level or region level priorities for this 500 person team. The hundred person team that I was managing needed to service some of those priorities. We had a good sense of what the areas of focus needed to be, but not exactly who should be doing what and how we should focus on them. I then did a brainstorming session with all the leaders of this team. I said, here are the organization's priorities. How should we execute against them? What are the things that you think this team as a whole is most capable of focusing on, of making an impact in? And from there, we identified the areas of focus where we were going to be most capable of making an impact, and those became teams. What I then did was I said, we, are, we have duplicate people for some of these teams. For instance, there used to be two heads of this team, one for each market. Now this new team is only going to have one head. I need to figure out who it should be. That was the part that I thought I was going to have a hard time involving my team in, in the right way, because of course, each of my managers was going to say, well, I think it should be me. What I decided to do was because this was a large enough change, I, I decided we're, here are all the spots in the team. Everyone was going to have a spot if they wanted one, but instead of deciding who goes where. We're actually going to have people apply for these roles. This old team is going away. This new team is getting created. Some people will have to shift what they're focused on. But if you shift subject matter, you would get to learn something new and you'd get to head up a team. If you didn't shift subject matter, you would have less change, but it might mean a slightly smaller team than you had before. It might mean some other downsides. Basically, you could pick your poison. You could say, I really want my old role focused on both of these markets now, or I want to try something else and learn some other area, or, you know, this is a really good opportunity for me to go find another role entirely and great, totally fine with me. I came up with this list of spots. I discussed it with the leaders of my team. I got their input. I made a few changes based on their thoughts. Got some buy-in. Obviously, they weren't all happy about it because this was change. It's going to be hard. Some of them knew that they were going to have to shift roles and they weren't happy about that. 
That's all natural, but at least they were a part of the process and couldn't complain that they weren't asked their opinion. We then opened up all of these jobs and said to the team, you all have jobs, but you just need to apply for a specific role within the team. No one's getting fired. Just apply for the roles that you think make the most sense for you. You can apply to up to three. We involved the team by asking them their opinion on what work needs to be done. I then involved the team by asking them how the responsibility should be divided. And I then involved the team by giving them full ownership over the transition by saying, apply to whatever team you want, whether it's your current team or another one. And while, of course, I got concerns and frustration from certain team members who felt like they were being put in unfair positions or were being asked to compete with significantly more experienced candidates, or they were just unhappy about the fact that their region was going away and they were going to have a mega region. That was all natural. No one said, this is totally out of my control. No one said, these changes haven't been communicated with me. No one said, I didn't get to give input into these changes. And the ultimate result was actually, in all, all things considered for a hundred person team, a relatively seamless transition. Everyone got offered a role that wanted one. Some stayed in their teams. Others took advantage of the opportunity to go to a different team in the same org. And others decided this is a great time for me to leave. And we give them some severance and they went on their way. But to me, the big difference here was I didn't just involve the team this time in thinking about what needs to get done. I also involved them in that how it should get done in the who goes where and gave them a lot more agency over what role and what set of responsibilities they took on than I did the first time. I took all those lessons from that first very bad change and applied them to this other change that I thought went much better despite being a much larger team in a much more challenging situation. That is all I got on change management. Somehow this episode became almost an hour. Where did that come from? Well, I guess I have a lot to say about change management. If you ever want to talk about change happening in your org and how best to handle it, this is something I'm pretty passionate about and would happily message about. Feel free to reach out to me on my website. That's management101withmax.com. Feel free to message me on LinkedIn or send me an email, which you can find on my website. Thanks for listening and uh, happy 2024. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101 and we'll catch you in the next episode.